we intentionally, we stepped out into the wilderness because there is a clear um, and a very uh, important voice that we've been uh, in, in tuned and uh, we've been listening to the last several weeks. I didn't really start out in this series thinking that we would, uh, that I would preach three messages on the, John the Baptist, but that's, you know, how that goes. And uh, there was just something that needs to be tied up uh, before we move into the next section of John. And the theme in chapter one is the wilderness all the way through, because the next place we go is Jesus coming into the wilderness to be baptized by John, and then Jesus cast into the wilderness for his temptation. And uh, so, so this is the theme uh, of, uh, of this first chapter. And we introduced the idea last week that we need to talk about power because there's been a shift in our culture, uh, where in the day a few generations ago, what Hofstede, the sociologist, says, there was what was called high power distance, where, where the lines were clearly drawn and the gaps were clearly seen between those who are powerful in society and those who have greater influence and those who, who don't, that line has really been blurred because in the present culture, you know, we like a, what we call low power distance. And so, so, uh, so I look like everyone else, right? You know, that's how we illustrated that last week. Uh, the, you know, you go into any evangelical church today and the pastor looks just like one of the people, except for one thing, the little hidden microphone. That's it. So I look just like you, but I've been given a voice. Okay. And I have to learn how to use that voice. Now, when we talk about a voice, you know, the, the, a voice equates to the idea of personal power, of, of, of finding yourself, your, who you really are, and being able to speak that into the world, to penetrate with your actions and your words who you are. Uh, you know, the word vocar, the Latin, is the word for voice. It's the word for calling. It's the word, it's, it's, uh, it's the same root for the idea of vocation. And so what I really want you to do is I want you to find your voice. I want us as a congregation living in this community, serving this community to find our true voice, what we're called to, how we're to use our power in, you know, for the kingdom. Does that make sense? So that's what we have gone out into the wilderness in search of John, who is the voice. And anytime John is asked, well, who are you, John? Because he's challenging the authorities in Jerusalem. He's out there, he's baptizing, and he's allowing people, you know, who used to go to the temple and, and lay hands on the sacrificial land and confess their sins. He's having them confess their sins in the wilderness, be baptized in preparation for the coming of the king of kings. The road, the path is being made straight, okay? And so, every, so John, he's going to get challenged. The religious authorities that come say, John, who are you? By whose authority you do what you do? And what's his answer every time? I'm just a voice. I'm a voice. That's who I am. He was a prophetic voice, was he not? I'm saying because you, you, you remember... 
We talked about that last week. The very last two sentences of the Old Testament, the last two sentences in the book of Malachi, chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, it predicts the coming of one who would be a messenger before the Messiah, uh, the, the return of Elijah the prophet. And here comes John embodying even the same dress and the style of Elijah in the wilderness. And he's crying out, make straight the path of the Lord. The Lord is coming. His coming is, is near you will. Now the voice in the Old Testament, the word prophet is the word, we get the word prophet from the Greek, prophetes. Just pretty much brought it over into the English, right? Then in the Old Testament, you know, the prophet was a nachbi. And literally it meant to, it meant to boil over. So he spoke with, you know, when when the Spirit of God came upon the prophet, he spoke, he was given a voice by the prophet, and, and he was, and, and, and literally, he was, to boil, he was to boil over. You remember Jeremiah, the whiny prophet, said at one point, said, man, I decided I was so tired of the abuse, I was going to shut up. I was not going to speak the word anymore. And, and Jeremiah said, and I couldn't because it was like a fire that began to burn within me. And I couldn't contain it. It, it boiled over you know, in his life. And so we're looking for, you know, this, we're, we are looking individually. We're looking as a people for a voice, for a sense of calling. I mean, so why we're here, what is it we're to do with what we've been given? How do we, how do we speak with clarity like John did into, you know, into uh, that place where we've been planted, where we've been put. Okay. So we want to talk about power. Um, we're going to talk about what is it? Um, where is the true source of power? Where is the real and true source of power? How and where is that power bestowed? How is it, how is it bestowed? And then how much, of the, of the, of how much is it? How much power is there for us? Uh, that's the idea today. Now, I'm really glad my sis is here from Minnesota, okay? Because I'm going to tell the story and, uh, and so she has a memory of it, I'm sure, and I have a memory of it. And so you'll be able to ask her if you want, you know, while she's here. She's here, you know, visiting. My kids are down here. It's great. It's my birthday, so we're going to, like, have lunch together, okay? So it's really cool. And my grandkids are here, too. Okay, so that's really important. Uh, and, uh, but anyway, it's great to have my sis here because, uh, because she'll have a memory of this and um, of that very strange night. You see, I grew up... Uh, I lived on a very busy street, Mitchell Street in Arlington, and uh, and on our street there were a lot of boys. There were two Davids, two Tommies. There was a Ricky, and there was a Steve. And on this particular night, I was in the fourth grade, and we were camping out in the backyard. Now we didn't go camping out in the woods; we got to camp out in the backyard. We're in the fourth grade, after all. But we are wild, you know, and crazy guys. And uh, I grew up in the day when uh, the I dare you. Uh, the double dog dare, you know, know the, anybody part of that generation. And occasionally we would pull the lever for the triple dog dare, you know. And that's when we were really on the edge, okay. And uh, so this particular night we're huddled in the pup tent and we're, you know, we're playing cards. And uh, so the, the, the dare and the double dog dare starts. And so, uh, so and it's, and it, it's an all-boy crowd, okay. So, but, uh, so we decide to play strip poker, Okay, and uh, uh, 
wow, that's great fun for 10 and 11-year-old boys. Okay, but uh, okay, so uh, we decided we're going to play strip poker, but there has to be some stakes involved in strip poker. So, uh, so here's how it goes. So we, after some much discussion, we decide that whoever loses at strip poker has to completely naked. Now, and there, there's, two, there's two words. There's naked and there's naked. We're talking about naked, completely naked. Um, you had to run the city block. You had to run. <laughs> I'm talking, a fair, I grew up on a fairly busy street with streetlights, okay, and on Mitchell Street in Arlington. You had to, you could come out of the creek, you know, up the embankment, out of the creek, and you had to run all the way to, and you had to touch the garage at Vicky's house. That's the one girl that lived in our neighborhood. You had to touch her garage, okay? And so we're, so we're playing strip poker, and unfortunately, I've forgotten to wear three t-shirts that night, okay? And so you know who loses at strip poker, okay? And so uh, I have got to take the dare. I mean, it's the double dog, triple dog dare. I've got, I've got to do this. And so uh, what I didn't count on was that I was, while I'm running naked down the street, that all the other little boys in the neighborhood are going to be running after me, screaming and hollering and announcing my nudity to the world, <clears throat> okay? And I have the brilliant idea that, you know, perhaps I can avoid the streetlight if I just run up in the yard a little bit and run across the driveway. And right as I am running across my driveway, the, the, the second of the driveways on the block, I notice that my sister has come home from her date She's dating a guy named Willis Ugin at the time. She's about a senior in high school, right, Annie? Okay. And uh, they have somehow come home about 11 o'clock at night, pulled up in the driveway unbeknownst to me. And as I'm running, I see this flash of an unfamiliar car there on my left as I'm running across the driveway. And, and it just hits me. Oh, my goodness. And so I just froze. And I turned like this. <laughs> and of course, my sister's boyfriend, smart boy that he is, reaches down and pulls the lights on. <laughs> when the lights came on, I hightailed it out of there. But beginning at breakfast table the next morning and for several weeks... My sister had this smug look. And so if she wanted to borrow my tennis racket, she knew she could borrow my tennis racket. If there was a chore that she was supposed to do, she would just conveniently say, you know, Dave has volunteered to help me with that. And I did. Anything she wanted for several weeks, she got. Now, my sister, by the way, later went on to be a politician in Minnesota and served. She learned how to use power, and I helped to teach her. I take some credit for that. And so that's a story, folks. It's a story about power. And in the end, who had all the power? My sister. She was holding all the cards, pun intended. You know, I, w I had hoped for a royal flush, and what I got was royal blush, okay? Uh, 
She had all the power. Now, there's this quote. I've used this before, and I brought it back because I got to thinking about this. Put the, the Mark Twain quote up. If you got the Mark Twain quote. Mark Twain said this, Clothes make the man. Naked people have little or no influence on society. Now, on the surface, it would appear that Mark Twain was right. He was an American master at wit and practical wisdom. And as regards um, contemporary culture or society, of course, it makes sense. But as we said last week, the gospel is countercultural. The gospel cuts across the culture. And the pattern of Scripture is quite the opposite. The pattern of Scripture would say, Mark Twain doesn't really know what he's talking about. Mark chapter 1, beginning with verse 4. Look at what John is doing. And John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for forgiveness of sins. In all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem, they were going out to him. They were streaming out to him. And they were being baptized by by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. And he preached, saying, After me comes one who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to stoop down and to untie. I have baptized you with water. But he, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now, a couple of weeks ago, when we talked about the the message of John, we said there was one clear thing about distinction about John's baptism, and that is you couldn't do it for yourself. All the other ceremonial washings, including the proselyte baptism or the Gentile baptism or immersion that took place before they could enter into the temple, all of the other ceremonial and religious washings were carried out individually by the self. You just washed but John required that he baptize, that there was, you know, that there had to be someone, an intermediary, there was someone who had to do that for you. And it was to model so that we would recognize the fact that we cannot cleanse and clean ourselves. And so here's what John is saying. So you come to me in the wilderness. In the wilderness, we said, is the place where you meet God in Scripture, Old Testament and New. You come to me in your wilderness, empty, broken, stripped of everything, willing to confess your need, confess your sin. What was happening internally was being depicted outwardly, is they would remove their clothing and enter into the waters of baptism. Now, Deb was out of town all week because I really wanted to shoot a, a cam video of myself taking a shower, only with fully clothed. I thought that would be really cool. You know, can you just imagine me jumping in the shower, lathering up, you know, wearing a suit? Because you know, what would make that funny? It's because everybody knows if you're going to wash, if you're going to get cleaned up, you don't leave your clothes on. 
you take them off. And so John was calling them into the waters of baptism where they were exposed, they were real, there was nothing that was hidden. And, and interestingly enough, as I studied this text over the last few weeks, I found that commentator after commentator, historian after historian, talked about the fact that in the early church, after the resurrection of Jesus, and they began to have a, a clear sense of what baptism meant, that it was a dying, a dying to the old self. Remember we talked about this in Colossians chapter 3, okay? A dying to the old self and being raised in new life, that in the early church during During that first century, they often baptized people stripped down to nothing and were baptized. And as they came out of the water, they were given a brand new white robe to wear to symbolize the resurrection of Jesus, their purity and their power in him. I can't imagine us doing that today. But do you see how profound that image is? You wash, John says, and now you're ready for him. You wash, and then you wait. Wait. And that's not, that doesn't mean you just sit still. But it means you actively wait. You start looking for him. You learn. You commit to learn about him. You begin to pray in anticipation. You You wash, and then you wait. And then John says, and when he comes, when he comes, when the one comes that we have longed for and expected for for 400 years of silence, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now, Luke in Matthew's gospel, in, in, in a later rendering, of this account said he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with what? Fire. Fire. You strip down in your wilderness and you will be clothed. You will be immersed in power. The Holy Spirit's power. See where I'm going with this? Now, folks, this is not new. This is not something new. The pattern has been in place for centuries, just waiting for the final fulfillment that will come to us in Christ Jesus. I was reflecting recently. Many of us here have been reading through the Bible this year. And and if you remember, about three or four weeks ago, we read through the Psalms of Ascent. These were the hymns in the Psalms, beginning with with Psalm 120, that they sang as they were walking up to Jerusalem toward the temple. And one of my favorite Psalms of Ascent is Psalm 133. Reading Andy Crouch's book, Playing God, redeeming the gift of power, kind of helped me to see this. Listen to how the the psalmist writes. He says, Behold how good, how pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. And he will go on to say, For that is where the Lord commands his blessing, is on the unified body. 
And then here's the, here's the, the, the analogy. Here's the illustration. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, and running down upon the collar of his robes. Aaron, the high priest, the day that he, for the very first time, put on the robes of power and authority to exercise authority as the high priest. You remember what he put on? This beautiful, you know, these beautiful woven, you know, vests and, 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 a, and, a, uh, and a dark blue robe and then the, the breastplate, you know, with, that, was, that was filled up with 12 precious jewels and, and, and shoulder pads with jewels and, and a, a turban was placed on his head and with, you know, with, uh, with gold bands everywhere. Talk about, you know, high power distance. Here's Aaron who is going to carry out his responsibilities. The most powerful spiritual leader, if you will, in Israel. And I went back and I read Leviticus chapter 8. Where it talks about that exact event right before he's anointed with oil and right before he makes a sacrifice, there is a there there was a washing. They set up the brass laver outside of the holy place in the tabernacle in the wilderness, and Aaron and his sons all stripped naked before the solemn assembly of all Israel. I'm talking about several million people. And Moses, he didn't bathe himself. Remember, the pattern is you can't clean yourself. Okay? Moses bathed him from the brass laver in front of the holy place. He washed Aaron and his sons down. There was complete and total humility before there was any authority or power was bestowed. And so he was washed. And then Leviticus chapter 8 tells us when it comes to a close, for seven days he and his sons dwelt in the temple and they waited on God. They waited. And then finally on the eighth day, Aaron makes a sacrifice for the people of Israel. And we are told at the end of chapter 9 in Leviticus that the power and presence of God came down in such force that it literally knocked the people off their feet. They hit their knees in worship. The, the last chapter of Exodus tells us that it was there. There was a thick cloud that covered the glory of God and a pillar of fire that rested upon the tabernacle. There was washing, and then there was waiting. They went into the wilderness and they heard the message of John, and they were washed. And then they began to actively wait because the power didn't come from them coming from somewhere else was to be bestowed upon them. And it was the same with 
And remember, where is Moses and Aaron? Oh, they were in the wilderness. Hmm. Are you getting it? Now, think about Jesus. Think about Jesus as the fulfillment of all that the Old Testament looks toward. Think about Jesus as the fulfillment of, of all who, who wait in expectation. And as the writer of Hebrews points out, Jesus is the true high priest. Andy Crouch points out um, a, a sermon that Andy Stanley preached at his home church one time. In which... Stanley started with this question. What do you do if you're the most powerful person in the room? What do you do if you're the most powerful person in the room? You ready? John 13. feast of the Passover was at hand and Jesus knew that his hour had come to to depart out of the world and to go to the Father having loved his own who were in the world he loved them to the end and during supper knowing that the devil had already put into the heart of Judas you know uh, Simon's son to betray him and Jesus knowing knowing that the Father had given him all things into his hands. That he had come from God. That he was going back to God. I mean, what do you do if you're the most powerful person in the room? And he rose up from supper. And he laid aside his garments. He stripped down. And he poured water into a basin. And he began to wash the disciples' feet. And of course, you know, he comes to Peter and like some of us, Peter goes, oh, no, Lord, you're not going to wash me. And Jesus says, if I don't wash you, Peter, you're not part of me. And Peter says, then, Lord, just give me a bath. And Jesus says, I've already bathed you, Peter. You just need your feet cleaned. And when he done... When he'd finished, he, t- he put back on his clothing and he spoke with authority. He says, you call me teacher, you call me Lord, and rightly so because that's who I am. And now I tell you, do this for one another. Wash each other's feet. The thought occurs to me,
how could I follow that example? How could I wash your feet and I not take off something and expose something and be authentic and real about who I am and what's going on with me? Does that make sense? I can't wash anyone else's feet without real humility. And humility translates into, I'm going to let you see something about me. Don't be surprised I'm real. (laughs) Don't be surprised I have struggles. Don't be surprised I have issues. Within a few hours, they are going to watch the disciples that do creep up upon the scene will watch and they will see their Jesus stripped naked on the cross. That's the way the Romans really did it. Humbled, humiliated, exposed before the entire world, stretched out where he would die. Here's the good news. The good news. Remember, Mark says it's all about the good news. It's all about victory. It's all about the victory has been won. Because what Mark knows is is he's living on the other side of the resurrection. That after three days, he came out of the grave with such power. That the first century church would never again fear the coercive political and military power of Rome. Because they had experienced and they had seen what? They had seen their Savior exposed. And then they had seen, you know, they had seen on their Savior the power of God so rest that he is brought back. He's resurrected from the dead. And they have witnessed and seen a power, a power that is, cannot be compared even in the same category with the power of Rome. You get it? I need to wrap this up. And so on the Mount of Ascension, in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 19, Jesus says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations. And we have said before, anytime you see a therefore, you got to stop and see what it's there for. You have to go back one verse. So if you go back to verse 18, Jesus says, now, therefore, I want you to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. They get to strip down. Okay. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded. And I will be with you always. The therefore. What is the therefore? Therefore. Verse 18. 
Jesus says, all authority, all exousia, all right to exercise power has been given to me. Okay? So there's your first clue. In Scripture, what is power? It's a gift. It's given. Who gives it? Scripture would say there is only one true source of power because there is an all-power, an all-powerful, omnipotent God who grants power within his creation. And so power is something that must be stewarded because it's not yours. It's not mine. We don't own it. But we steward it. And we can steward it for good or for bad, can't we? And how or where is it bestowed? On the humble. The ones who in their wilderness come to him and they are broken and they are willing to confess their need that there is emptiness in their lives that they can't fix that there is there is is dirt and 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 mess and and sludge and and there's stuff in their lives that they can't clean up And the minute they expose themselves and they get real, they might have to wait. But they're going to receive power. Power. Washing and waiting. Okay, we'll have been church. Do you want to have an authentic voice in this community? Huh? That's going to require us to get real. I'm not suggesting you come up to the front and start spouting off all your junk, okay? I'm saying, I'm saying, but the realization ought to come to you that you can't clean it up yourself, that you're going to need help. And so you ask the, the, the Father, you ask Jesus to show you, you know, where to get that kind of help so with some, in a safe place with some people you can trust. And you start dealing with your stuff. You start looking at the wilderness that is within. That's what we have to do. And so if you're one of those people today who, you know, who's in the room and you say, man, I've, I've, I've been in the wilderness. Man, I seem like I've been living there. I mean, say, man, I'm so, I'm, you, know, I'm, you know, I'm hungry. I'm, I'm trying to find truth here, okay? You're a good place. You're a good place. He's coming. Get ready. How do you get ready? You get washed. You confess your need. You, you open up and you get real. And you say, there's stuff in me that's broken. And, and there's emptiness. And there's stuff I'm really struggling with. And, you know what I'm saying? And I can't fix it. I need a Savior. 
how much power is there? You and I can't imagine. You and I can't imagine the kind of power and creativity that could create a universe of a million billion galaxies. I'm not talking stars. What kind of power is that? What kind of power did he display in the resurrection? You have more than you need. There'll be plenty. Just waiting for you to be willing to wash. And to turn and fix your attention toward him. And wait for him. Let's pray.